This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Aaron Schwartz from ModifyWatches.com explained how he used the Lean Startup methodology to rapidly launch his business. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that focused on winning over early adopters rather than the entire market in order to successfully launch his product. In this episode, you'll learn how to manage all the feedback that you'll get when running a Kickstarter campaign, why you want to go after the hardcore early adopter demographic first before promoting your product to the market, and what should you do if you encounter copycat. Today, I'm joined by Brian Min from QuirkyWriter.com. That's Q-W-E-R-K-Y-W-R-I-T-E-R.com. QuirkyWriter is a typewriter-inspired wireless mechanical keyboard and was started in 2014 after a successful Kickstarter campaign in based out of San Francisco, California. Welcome, Brian. Tell us a little more about QuirkyWriter. The company was built around the, the Kickstarter idea, right? So uh, QuirkyWriter, you know, let me first say that you know I've always uh, I'm a huge uh, sort of proponent of just you know talking about how um, you know how the Cookie Rider was made and just because I think people will be pretty fascinated about it, but at the same time it's something that you know it's not it it it, it took some extraordinary efforts, but I think you know a lot of folks out there can can do that. I think it's you know a lot of that has to do with just you know how how badly you want to uh, um, you know be persistent to go through it. But anyway, besides that. Um, yeah, just the 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 business itself uh, wasn't really the first idea. Uh, really, it was just um, something that I had different different feelings about. Um, one day, I was just cleaning up my my desk. I mean, there's many different stories uh, and, and anecdotes to this, but just just it came down to a, a point where um, I was cleaning up my desk and. Uh, Awesome! I'm gonna, you know, really, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, like a lot of us, on 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 the desktop, and interfacing with with computers. And I bought new monitors, you know, kind of new desk and everything like that. And then um, I looked at my um, a keyboard, and and this this really, I won't say the name of the company, but it's just this really horrible beige keyboard that I had. And I'm like, there's got to be something better than this. And did a search and just realized that there just was nothing that kind of was kind of cool, something that I. Uh, um, that I thought was going to kind of be the centerpiece of, of this um, centerpiece of the uh, uh, of my new kind of sort of like cleaning up of my my desktop, and so uh, um, I had this. I'm not sure why, but I just had this crazy notion about uh, uh, wanting to build uh, something uh, for myself, and and I had this notion about uh, some some things that I've seen online about people modding their keyboards, and so. I thought uh, do the same, you know, uh, uh, in the garage. You know, it, it was a t- perfect time in my uh, life where I wanted to have some kind of a hobby that had some purpose. But again, there was no intention of like turning this into a business or, or any kind of thing like that. It was just a pure hobby, sort of uh, creative exploration kind of thing. And uh, for some reason, it just kind of took a hold of me. And and you know, I have a tenacity, pers- I have a personality to be pretty tenacious and and like to f- finish things. And so. 
I did this one little thing. I posted it online, and uh, I'm not sure why. And and people thought that it was really really cool. Um, and for some reason, that particular picture, I can't remember. Like it got shared on uh, 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 one of the yeah. blogs. I think it was Lifehacker. I can't remember. And uh, um, next thing I know, that you know, there was like sixty thousand views on that one particular thing I did. And so people really seem to like it. And so that was an early, early version of the Corky Rider. And then I, bi- I built another one just because I'm like, hey, cool. People like my stuff. Again, no intention of any kind of um, business just because, you know, this, that's just thought didn't ha- occur to me. And then I did another rev. And and, um, and then the, the sort of the response uh, was, I mean, there are people that certainly on the internet, there's plenty of people that that kind of hate on everything you do. But generally speaking, it was, it was great. And so I'm like, I wonder if, you know, something like this could actually be viable and that's when the uh, thing about well how am i going to raise you know funds I mean, i'm not going to take out a loan and do th- this kind of thing it's just it's really really tough and so at, at that time particularly uh you know before I mean, kickstarter and indiegogo and places like that is, is, is a really different climate right now and it's really uh, very different very challenging in its own thing but back then you know there was still uh, i don't know it seems like there was some optimism left and so I, I wonder if I can like raise some funds so that I can just build this thing again. Not really thought uh, thinking anything about business. It was just a passion driven thing, but it had a lot of social traction. And so did it. And then of course, um, you know, it was actually successful on Kickstarter. And then um, and then move forward there. And then that's when I realized uh, that you really needed some kind of a business plan. And, and, and that's that. That's that's the long and the short of it. You know, so I formed a business plan. Again, just around the product, and 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 uh, we continue to be pretty successful for a, a very very small company because we keep our operations very lean. <clears throat> We're at a very vulnerable stage right now, still, just because of many many things. A um, lot of people have different thoughts about how you start a business, different preconceived notions. Um, I have my own take on how I wanted to run this business. Um, you know, this is a, a passion, creative project foremost, uh, but I like it to be sustainable. Uh, and so, uh, you know, all those kinds of philosophies uh, uh, embedded with how I present the Corky Rider and my, my company. And so, so this, this is the result. You know? Okay, so you mentioned um, it sounded like this uh, idea, uh, well, not the idea, but the, the traction started with a, a was it like a, a blog post on Lifehacker that you posted of a prototype that you created? Like what did you actually put up there? Yeah, so I mean, it was actually, uh, you know, the very first, and I've, um, in fact, I'm more, <laughs> I've been working on my, the origin story of the Corky Rider for like three years now. <laughs> Every time I have some bandwidth left on the on the on the train or something like that, I I, I ride it and then I, I get off on you know I, I like okay I got to do something else because <clears throat> you know there's so many things that went into it. But the earliest things, uh, um, you know, I um, I'm a creative person in general. I have a um, a music degree from UCLA, a, a film composition, and so um, I approached a lot of the <clears throat> excuse me. I approached a lot of um, my creative thinking and process, like the way you would, you know, kind of write any kind of piece of music or uh, any kind of art piece, really. And so it really started with, uh, you know, trying to get something like a prototype in the easiest sense possible, right? You really don't want to be like, I'm going to build, I'm going to, you know, CNC mill this and 3D print that. Like, that's a huge mistake, right? What you want to really do is just... I took a off-the-shelf keyboard, like like some old Mac keyboard that I wasn't even using in my garage, and then I just kind of took, you know, got a Dremel tool and kind of like shape, you know. At that time, I wasn't a real, I wasn't a 3D modeler, so I used what I had, 
in the in, in the things that are available, very, very cheap, very affordable, but just kind of prototype things out. Like I didn't go out and mill things. I I went to like Joanne's a lot or Michael's and kind of like kind of played around with it because I had sort of a visual concept in mind. And so really er- early prototypes are just like just old Mac keyboard that I put like um, literally, uh, I think it was like just buttons that I bought and super glued it on top of things just to kind of get a sense of... Um, you know what it what would be like and and that kind of early really cheap prototyping and then just getting people to kind of look at it you know it was whether it's facebook or twitter it could just be your friends and family and just see what their reaction is like just because you're trying to early vet your ideas and and if people are lukewarm or especially you know i actually posted this on reddit too which is quite courageous of me mm-hmm. uh, now that's the ultimate test really uh that you want to go there when, when maybe like third or fourth rev mm-hmm. um but you know they they can be very harsh, but they can also be very frank about where you're really at. And so, uh, not that you want to hear and, and and just be driven by negativity, because you know there's a lot of negative things, and you want to be positive. But <clears throat> that early few vetting process should be quick and fast. And so I did that, and and uh, that wasn't posted, but that w- that got enough kind of an insight when just like friends and family came by on my fa- my personal Facebook. Hey, that's pretty cool, man. That looks really cool. Uh, and it was just universal. There was no <clears throat> sense where like. Okay, why are you wasting your time? You know, I mean, even friends that are like, uh, um, are, are uh, you know, especially the ones that are very uh, truthful and and tends to kind of tell me how it is. So then, at that point, I spent a little bit of money, and again, I didn't go crazy and do fabrications or anything like that. I just took uh, like a, I think it was some off-the-shelf Razer keyboard <clears throat> at the time. You know, a lot of mechanical keyboards, and that's a different thread that I don't, I don't want to go into. But I was a huge mechanical keyboard fan, and uh, the clicky nature of it was really cool to me. So. Uh, you know, I just I took that and kind of like spray painted it and and did some cool stuff to it. And that's the one that, um, excuse me, I think I posted this on I think it was Flickr. I don't know if that's still around. <laughs> I think I it was think Flickr, so. and then it, yeah, it was like the it was like the desk. Oh, okay, so I submitted to the the desktop show and tell that Lifehacker does, but it was posted on Flickr and somebody shared it. And that one of the the bloggers, one of the the uh, uh, the, the staff writers at Lifehacker picked it up. I think it may still it may still be around uh, online if you do a search on like I, I don't think it was it wasn't called the quirky ride it was like steampunk something mm-hmm. uh, life hacker um, and and so that's so th- all all that's to say is that I got a lot of early positive validation from pe- a lot of people that was not within my sphere of influence and so again very little money uh, but the idea, I knew that that's when the idea was strong. So you you put put this up, um, just kind of start spreading it out. You maybe didn't have the intention of make it up, making on Life Hacker, but you know people sh- people shared it and eventually started picking up virality. So when you went into creating this prototype for the first time and just putting it out there, what was the what was the goal that you had in mind? Like, were there certain things that you're looking for, and what was the next step that you determined based on what you were hearing? So when when the Life Hacker thing went up. Um, People were saying, actually, just emailing me directly uh, on Flickr, uh, like, "How can I buy this? You know, can you mod my keyboard for me?" I mean, that was when I knew that like something, uh, something more than just kind of a hobby thing happened. So um, at the time, I had to just really decide for myself exactly, um, you know, what I wanted to do. I just knew that I didn't have the means to be able to like fund this and goof around and spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars trying to do whatever. And back then, when I did this, there was no. There are a lot of company. I mean, even sh- like you know, shows like Shark Tank and things like that that are around these days, all really built 
and I have actually I have a I have a thought on Shark Tank just in general. I think I think that's really hugely problematic. But although people tell me that I should go on it, it's just I don't think those are those are like products that are made for the sake of business as opposed to just product that's made for passion. But I know some of them mean well. But anyway, beside that point, um, going back to to what you're saying, I think that particular thing about where people. There was some commerce aspect of it, which I just did not consider. Uh, I started toying with it, but again, I did not engage that. But rather, I thought, okay, I'm, as a creative, I want to make something that's wholly original. Because you know, before the last two revs, including sort of the piggyback thing that on uh, that that I did on a, on an off-the-shelf keyboard, uh, was still somebody else's design that I kind of like tweaked. It's kind of like taking a Honda Civic and kind of like tricking it out or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's the car itself is not your car, right? So I did. I, so that's that's. I took the creative uh, approach and kind of tried to build something from scratch. So I got parts and I did spend a little bit more more money and and kind of got that going. But that particular object itself, I wanted to make something new again, not with the intention of of selling or anything. But it just definitely there was something in in the back of my mind at that point, which is I would say like sort of like prototype three, where maybe it could be. So. So what I did was when I started building this, and then now I, I I sought out some real intense people feedback. So I I took this to Reddit. I found some uh, sort of like keyboard enthusiast blogs. I'm really you know do a few search on online, and you'll find some crazy uh, intense communities that are into keyboards. You know, there's people that are into anything these days, and so. Um, that that's what I did. I just um, I I put it out there as sort of like the last kind of like, hey guys, you think this is actually commercially viable? And you know, there are people that gave me really good feedback. Hey, I don't know about this. You know, they, it sounds like it's going to be really expensive, but you know, if you really like it, I think it's going to be great. Um, you, on Reddit, there was plenty of uh, um, negativity, but but overwhelmingly very very positive. Like, dude, if you can pull this off, you know, I would totally support you. So there was a lot of social traction and awareness that happened. Uh, then and then that's the, that's when something just kind of uh, you know t- talking to my wife and things like that. You know what? I I think if I spend just this amount of money and I capped it, you know, uh, and got you know, there's this thing called 3D prototyping. You can you know from Shapeway, you can do these things really cheaply. <clears throat> I knew some colleagues, the friends of mine who did 3D modeling and and things like that. I think we can actually you know maybe give it a shot. I have no idea. This is, you know it's going to be really expensive, but you know this is what it's going to cost to do something like that. Uh, and and that's when I built. The, the fourth one which is what you see on Kickstarter and I took it there and 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 um, and that's that's when that's when it got funded and that's mm. that's the beginning you know? awesome so the the demand or kind of the uh, popularity that you got out of nowhere was it possible to catch or capture this demand somehow you know because I don't think I think they're def- this is a story I've heard before where people just kind of created something to scratch their own itch or just as a hobby and all of a sudden everyone's asking them how can I buy this off of you but they don't have a product yet so this might mm. not be the case for everyone that's listening but I think p- other folks out there might relate in a different way where all of a sudden a popular blog or a popular influencer started talking about their product and all of a sudden yeah, it blows yeah, up yeah, and yeah, you yeah. might not have kind of the system in place to capture that demand and it could fizzle out and go away before you get the chance to capture it so what was that yeah. experience like for you did you go through this like how were you able to kind of hold on to some of this popularity until you're able to create the product yeah yeah and th- that's a really and, and, and that's a really tough one and I I, I don't know. I think some of that is <clears throat> pretty much, um, you know, it, 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 there's, you definitely need, you know, some good luck. You need some timing. And I think at the time that I came out, um, uh, a concept of crowdfunding was still, well, still kind of fresh. 
Um, you know, it was, it was, it was something that like, you know, some of the hate started to happen just because they realized that when people actually said that they were going to make something, it's very, very difficult to actually execute. Mm-hmm. And we can probably do a whole podcast on just that alone, you know, post Kickstarter, but uh, you know, that, that just, you know, that's a huge scope, but going back there. Yeah, it, it is, you know, I think, you know, who knows, right. It, it's, it's a really difficult thing. I just knew that the reason why I felt like it, it, um, it got the attention of the bloggers, and again, the the, the social media uh, and, and the uh, and also traction that I I saw, which you know I took for granted back then, but was really really remarkable. Um, um, just going to that particular piece, so it was not only Life Hacker. I mean, I had an interview with the Wall Street Journal, you know, like a few months down the road. I mean, a whole bunch of different people, just like really prominent people, you know. And I mean, every you name every large blogger, uh, I I know somebody there, you know. From Gizmodo and Gadget, uh, you know Mac, uh, PC Gamer uh, or PC uh, Magazine, Tom's Hardware. I mean, all these you know companies that I truly admire and looked up to. They were contacting me, so you know I, I'm not you know who knows how that works. I do know, and in terms of the listeners, the, the thing that was important was was really you know the, your photograph and your design, and that's just to say that like I really. You know, I was trying to dissect as a creative, like what is it that that made people pay attention and want to reach out to you, and and by by far, when you saw pics of the Corky Rider uh, at that time, you just couldn't ignore it. And you know, again, I'm not, this is not something like I'm trying to be like you know kind of full of ego or anything like that. It's just that at that time, maybe it's you know saturated now. And there's a lot of cool things, and there's a lot of cool things to see online, but. When when people saw that, it was just it just popped out. You couldn't ignore it, and I just knew that when I was making this, and I, when I was looking at it, like man, I I was able to try to take myself out of uh, a person as a creative and try to look at it as a bystander. You know that good obje- ob- that that creative creative objectivity that you mm-hmm. you seek so so much. It's like is you know is this thing that I'm painting is, this, is somebody going to like it? I try to really do that and make sure that when the, the shapes, the form factor, the colors that I was designing was something that would just be you couldn't ignore it and and I really focused on beauty and form more than function because a lot of the people that I see and this may be the secret I'm not sure but uh, is that a lot of folks that are right doing you know Kickstarter programs or hardware programs or whatever whatever cool idea that their you and the, your grandmother had to do it you know they focus on function and feature so much uh, uh, but then they don't, they don't really pay attention to beauty and form, which is something that, you know, if you're going to try to do function and form, you're just not going to win. You know, there's companies called like Apple, you know, if you've <laughs> heard of it, they will destroy you. Like you can't compete with their function, function and features. I mean, their software alone will just billions of dollars. So what I tried to do was I'm just going to make something that just looks really, really cool <laughs> mm. and something that I'd want. And, you know, trying to compete asymmetrically. And that's, I think that was the secret. You know, again, who knows? Time will tell. But for right now, uh, it was being really, and it was being really strategic about it too. I didn't just kind of like say, well, I'm just going to, you know, kind of do this. I think that's intuitive. No, I really got behind that concept and try to make everything, whether it's pictures, everything that anytime people see, we spend a lot of time selecting our pictures too. Just, I mean, just because like, that's the only thing that we can do. You know, I can't, I can't advertise how cool it is for a, a Bluetooth or it's all made out of metal, which it is, you know, return bar is solid metal. Like people just don't, you just can't compete there just because people are going to argue with you. So I'm going to say, look, that just looks amazing. And if you want it, you can buy it. And it's a unique product. 
So when you say that you've uh, competed asymmetrically and I guess focused specifically on the beauty, the design, the form, does that mean that you cannot focus as much on the functionality and I guess more of the, I guess, quantitative I mean, you, aspects? You know, you try, yeah, you sure, you try your best and, and you know, you, you um you don't want to. You don't want to be the double talking politician where they feel like you can have this and do. You know, mm-hmm. no. You, you you have to sac. There's going to be certain things that sacrifice. Like you know, I you know admit, I I, I wanted the the keyboards can be uh, keyboards need to be more ergonomic. You know, uh, just and that's that's one of the things where like uh, I, there's a there's a inverse graph that's that the, the more ergonomic it looks, the more hideous it looks, and the more <laughs> the more uncomfortable it is, the the more beautiful it is. I mean, I think that's in fashion, you know. Like, look at yeah. high heels; like, it's beautiful, but man, that is really uncomfortable. So <laughs> I don't. But I think I think those kinds of things still exist, and that doesn't nullify that. But again, those are the trade offs that I had to make in order for me to make the Corky Rider a uh, reality. Mm. So does that? I think that's a perfectly um, logical, I guess, um, approach to it. Do you did you re- receive any kind of um, backlash from customers or anything because of that? Like, how do you make sure that you emphasize <laughs> backlash that backlash from customers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I was also fortunate because uh, working uh, working in the field that I do as a day job and, and just understanding how social media works. Um, you really have to pay attention to negativity uh, mm-hmm. and kind of quash it and make sure that you're responsive. And that's a tough one. And I think maybe either, um, you know, and there's a balance because if you get too obsessed and too, you know, you know there are people that are just like constantly uh, um, uh, so socially aware that you, you're paralyzed by it. But at the same time, you know, on the other hand, people are like, I don't care what they say. I'm just going to do my own thing, especially the creative types like me. You know, like, I don't care. I'm just going to do my thing and just kind of ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a happy medium where you have to pay attention uh, you know, uh, we got all, and a lot of those uh, feedback um, is absolutely legitimate. You know, there's, there's there's truth to in all those kinds of things. You know, we we got a lot of criticism for for the fact that it was very expensive, which it is. Uh, um, uh, you know, people don't realize why it's expensive, but they're just going to say it, and they have the you know the, the, there's truth there. Um, they talked about some ergonomic stuff. They they had some you know like the really you know once this is out there, there are people that are you know multi order of magnitude smarter than I am that is, that is looking at this thing, you know, people from NASA or MIT, you know, or old, old school professors. And so they, they take it apart and there's a lot of things that are, that are challenging. But I think what we did was one of the great gifts of the Kickstarter that, um, that I think, uh, people, um, forget and people forget to leverage, um, is the fact that I had a very, very long Kickstarter cycle. And what that means is that um, I actually developed this product during Kickstarter. Now, the, there's a tension because Kickstarters are notoriously bad, especially hardware for delivering, and it, you know all these delays and things like that. So now, the, the way a lot of the original Kickstarter guys are not coming out, they've, they literally have everything tooling, everything ready, and then they just want to get funding, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge mistake. I know that there are business realities of that worse. The reason why that's a huge mistake is for me, I was still building the project and I got all the negative feedback early on from my backers, like thousands mm-hmm. of people that goes like, dude, change this, do this. It was an actual creative vetting process. If you look at the quirky writer that I, I, I delivered versus the very early prototype, it's quite different and internally very different. Now, there are things that I stuck to, there are things that I couldn't change, but there are a lot of things that I wanted to cut that the backers reminded me, dude, if you cut that, you're cutting the soul out of it. Uh, or like, dude, 
they wanted something, uh, uh, and and they were able to give me some really great unbiased critical feedback. You know why? Because they 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 gave me money. They they're in this, and and I can trust that their feedback was good. It's kind of like um, yeah. So so because of that, um, I, I you know when the product got to market. I, first of all, was really prepared for any kind of negative feedback that was going to happen. But also, the Corky router really did go through the gauntlet. So a lot of the major issues uh, was already addressed. And mm-hmm. also, the addresses that I'll find, I scaled small in small batches. Like, for example, I didn't go gangbuster and like leverage my house to like make crazy amount of units. I made small batches uh, for, for my Kickstarter first and then made some firmware revisions. You know, I, I had outlets to... to <clears throat> to do revisions, which is very difficult for hardware, but we built that in for this very reason. So that's why I think the, when the Corky Ride is out there, it's resilient. It's still selling well. Um, it's it's doing, you know, despite the backlash, because there was there was an iterative process that you built in. But nowadays, I see a lot of new products. They just come out and they just try to like get funding. Like, dude, your product is not ready. Mm-hmm. Or like, there's a lot of problems with your, you haven't thought all of it. Uh, you haven't gone through the gauntlet. <clears throat> like the way some of the larger companies do. And in my case, I was very fortunate to have a long Kickstarter and, and, and my backers were so passionate that they were patient with me. But I mean, that, I think I think they, they they lose the very thing that why crowdfunding is, it, it, it was for. And so it's, it's an unfortunate situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's kind of go over the details of the Kickstarter. So the goal, original goal was $90,000 and breaking through that goal and raising almost $130,000 from 469 backers. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, obviously a successful campaign and you mentioned that you had a long cycle. So how long did this campaign run for in, I guess, from the start of it uh, to the end of the campaign and then how long before the products were delivered? Yes, yeah, so um, the campaign actually was too short. Um, I, I, I put it as 30 days. And again, you know, back then that was there were all these conventional wisdoms. Um, um, you know, I could have done it for 45 days, but it, you know, and it probably should be 45 to 60 days. I'm not, I'm not sure what the right number is these days, but I, I, I just knew that I could have probably raised a bit more if I did. Uh, and then, and then the delivery cycle was a year. So, um, you know, most typical hardware delivery schedule was six months. I put it, I just doubled it. Um, surprisingly that still wasn't enough. In fact, I delivered it, um, two months late. Uh, which is apparently a miracle because most <laughs> most hardware they're they could be like years late, which is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't realize that the the, the fail, success rate was that low, uh, um, uh, which is just a cautionary tale. Um, so, you know, lo- from that point on, you know, the kind of lessons you learn about uh, about that um, was insane. But but to the point that long cycle. And the expectations of my backers, knowing that it was going to be long, <clears throat> there were still people that, that that were quite antsy. But I was able to, you know, take my time to get get it done. Uh, and I realized that I, you know, I thought I was going to deliver maybe actually in nine months. Uh, I needed every one of those months. Um, uh, hardware making hardware is insanely hard. Uh, and if you've never done it before, I mean, good luck. Um, I, I don't, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, we really shouldn't have made it. Uh, but I think I just, I didn't know any better that I, that, that I wasn't supposed to make it. And so again, I was really fortunate to just, I tend to be somebody who um, likes to learn. I like to, I like to get a lot of advice from people. So uh, instead of you know thinking that I knew what I was doing, I really sought out. Well, I, I try to seek out the right advice. And uh, 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 that the combination of that and just tenacity and just unwillingness to fail <laughs> and a lot of sleepless nights a lot allowed me to be able to ship it. 
Mm. So did you find that people were hesitant to back a campaign that had a long delivery date? Like, like you're saying it was course, twice the length. Of course, yeah. Of course they did. And so the way we remedied that, um, because we, you know, again, <clears throat> $130,000 a lot of money, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is a lot of money, uh, but um, not enough. Uh, so, uh, um, that's, that's a shock to people, but it, it is the truth. And so what we did was we knew, we knew first of all, that we ended the, the, uh, the Kickstarter too early because we saw the traction and the way it was trending. And so we, we were very fortunate to kind of convert those people over to the people who are now beginning to start to hear about it, uh, through a pre-order program. And there's different things about that. You know, a uh, pre-order is not, not something that you think is a, is a no brainer. There's a lot of challenges. For example, uh, even though, so we were successful in transferring people over to a pre-order program, um, but the but the uh, but the problem is banks don't like that. PayPal doesn't like it. For example, PayPal is one. They held they held our funds for a year. You know, we couldn't even have access to it. But the point was that we were able to still capture the traction we fell through a pre-order program. So we continued to raise a lot more money, uh, which which we absolutely needed. It's kind of like whatever you need, uh, you think you need it, whatever time you need, you probably need to double that. And and that's what that's what I did. Uh, uh, and and again, uh, there were people that uh, uh, you know. It's it's very very funny. The earliest back, most of the Kickstarter backers were super patient. I would say maybe one or two people you know wanted their money back. <clears throat> but I mean, overwhelmingly, it was really really successful. Mm-hmm. The so, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask. So if you could go back, would you still keep that long delivery? Would you make that delivery? Uh, I guess timeline um realistic or do you think that hurts you in the long in the in the long run or do you think it helped you in the long run by making no it- i think it needs to i think it needs to be it, it could probably be shorter but only just because i know better i know what to do but if you're if you're somebody who's never done this before you want to try to buy as much time as possible mm-hmm. and i don't know what the right answer is because this always is this is a, it's a tense thing Right, makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the keys to, to one of the biggest benefits of having the Kickstarter campaign that you think others are making a mistake uh, today when they're doing crowdfunding is that you're able to learn from your customers, get feedback early on as possible, so that you could implement that into the design. So tell us yeah, about this process. Yeah. You know, it sounds like it could get pretty hairy, get pretty complicated if some people are giving you feedback and you maybe already. F- pretty far along in the design or the manufacturing like how do you manage all of that the feedback that you're getting <laughs> yeah that's really tough i mean so, so what you do is you know there are certain things that we couldn't change like i couldn't make this into a skateboard or whatever right i mean there's certain parameters you do but there's certain thing you know I, I think what i did was there were there were a handful of things like like price point for example it's just like that was something that we talked a lot about it and you know i would try to go back and forth like guys this is what it costs to make this thing you know we need to have at least you know two x of that for you know distribution and things like that. There's you know so so we talk so you know there's a lot of dialogue about like what it could cost and they give you good feedback and they and then a lot of people are like well I think this is you know valuable this way and so th- you know that's helpful. So there's some soft things not not directly related to the actual mm-hmm. uh, a product that 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 you can help, but that's a really important component. But um, yeah, if, if things like so, some of the features you know like I remember the return bar. I wanted to get rid of it. It was so expensive that that solid, you know, a lot of the things that I uh, initial prototype that I did, you know, uh, um, again, it was so feature prominently, but it was really threatening to sink the whole thing because we had no idea what this was going to cost. I mean, that we finally figured it out, but 
uh, you know, that's, that is a solid piece of metal, you know, that is chrome plated. And I, we, either we went big or we didn't do it. And so, um, I said, we can't do it. And there was a, there was a huge, <laughs> it was a huge backlash, uh, uh, from the backers and pre-order people. There was, you know, pitchforks at my front door almost. Uh, and so that's when it, t- that's when I realized that they really, it really meant something to them. So uh, that's actually one of the biggest reasons why we were delayed two months because we took two months to redesign, refactor, resource, and, and, spent a lot of lot of money and a lot of time to to figure out how we're going to make that thing uh, cost effective and still feel like it's a piece of jewelry and it came out that way but i mean boy those were some of the darkest moments uh, 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 on my journey yeah i mean hearing you talk about it, it sounds like somebody that's recounting war stories about the experience <laughs> of building a company so it sounds like it's all very still kind of fresh to you i mean it has only been a couple of years so i can imagine yeah that. yeah i remember that. i remember <laughs> that uh very 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 distinctly yeah so um the the campaign when you first uh, set it up the the 90k goal like how did you set that number how'd you come up with that figure i mean some of that was just definitely uh foolish right uh, and I'll, I'll be the first one to admit because uh, I did, did. I did do some. I did the kind of due diligence as much as I could, based on um, you know what I knew. Uh, and again, from the circle of people that I talked to, I factored in uh, mostly the concept of tooling, um, the parts, as as, in, but in the most conservative side as possible, because I wanted to get funded, and I felt like we could figure things out later. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that had to just do basically. It, and and there wasn't really enough room for like failures, like having having to like reiterate and redesign the return bar. So um, that's a tough one. You know, I, I would just say it, I factored in what I knew about what it would cost to tool and to do the basic CAD engineering. Uh, you know, man hours and estimates, but but those were all just real estimates. Um, and and ultimately, you know, it it ended up costing you know two three x more than than what it was funded for. So that's mm. that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. So once the campaign ended, did you have the final design ready to go for manufacturing, or was there still more to do after the? Oh no! Like 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 I said, it was another six months of R and D after that. You know, we then we took the the prototype, and then and then uh, then I had enough funds to be able to engage. Um, there were three competing industrial design houses that I interviewed that I had in line, and so now I was able to. I hired uh, out of the three. Uh, it was a combination of two people, two the two different companies uh, that I um, that I work with. So that's when I was able to afford them to be able to do a do a do a CAD work, a SolidWorks design of the Corky Rider prototype. Mm, so um, so it's then at that point we started to doing material tests. Like I really wanted to, you know, the aluminum, like the finish. I mean, there's certainly things that I wanted to do, like things like I want this to be metal. And obviously, aluminum was the most affordable. And then, you know, it's uh, anonized aluminum and like, oh, how are we going to do this solid shape? And so well, our industrial designer came out with the idea, if we if we bend these things like the way they bend steel, you can still have that kind of form factor. So, in fact, a lot of the design stuff that's here, um, I actually feel like some other companies have um, taken notice of that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying that they're copying what I do, but I, I don't know. It's very, very peculiar that a certain large company looks like, hey, that looks very similar to what we do. Uh, and, and there's, of course, blatant copy, uh, copycats in, in China uh, as, that we're dealing with legally right now. But we made a lot of, interest, a lot of really interesting innovations to try to, to, to do things like 
uh, uh, making metal shapes, but in the most affordable way possible. And and if you look at the Quirky Rider design, we highlighted that instead of hiding it. But that that came out during the the design process because before it was going to be this like solid piece of CNC aluminum, and that was just not scalable. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that that crowdfunding, whether it be on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, it's just a different climate today. Like, what what did you mean by that? And would you launch another product on oh Kickstarter today? <laughs> Actually, we are we are planning to do something similar. You know, um, one of the things that makes this, uh, and again, I, I'm not sure whether we're going to get there, but our plan is that we do have uh, two new products that are in the in the can right now in early development stages, and. Um, I would engage my Kickstarter backers just because um, you know we're one of the few success stories. Um, Kickstarter is kind of weird that way because they face so much harsh criticisms about failed harsh Kickstarters that that they're kind of a gun shy about promoting companies, which mm-hmm. is kind of a bummer for me because I, I love Kickstarter. Obviously, I couldn't have been uh, I couldn't have shipped Kickstarter uh, without them. But but uh, uh, you know they're they're a bit cold shouldered uh, these days. But but I think still. Um, you know, for us, we have a loyal, loyal backer. Uh, just I still get letters from from people uh, about the kind of, which is kind of weird. But you know, they talk to me about, uh, um, you know, their. When I look at the quirky ride, I look at I, I. It reminds me of my grandma, you know, because she used to type away. And I mean, that, like really, just really kind of touching stories, which is mm-hmm. really bizarre. It's just a piece of thing, but I know that that that's that's another thing with the, this typewriter form factor. There's an emotional engagement that was not quite un- intended, but it had that kind of result. Uh, going back to that, so I, I would absolutely do that. Obviously, I'm 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 sort of a a graduate, a Kickstarter or crowdfunding graduate, so mm-hmm. I ab- absolutely know a whole lot more what to do and what not to do. It doesn't mean I won't make mistakes, but I definitely want to do that. I may, I may actually engage even both uh, platforms. I know some, some companies have done that where they would like sort of like do Kickstarter and then like go Indiegogo or whatever, you know, there's obviously things like equity funding, bunch of different, you know, th- tools that are available that, that, that wasn't there when I started. I would absolutely uh, do both of my projects on, on those platforms first, but I would have a lot more things into it. Yeah, I've heard good things about launching on multiple platforms uh, be- just because of the, the demographics are a bit different. The people that aren't Kickstarter are Kickstarter people. The people are Indiegogo are Indiegogo people, and you can reach, you know, a larger market. You, you're not necessarily getting overlaps uh, by being on two different platforms. So I've heard good things about that. Um, so you mentioned that there are certain things that you must do uh, that you would definitely change uh, so what are some what's something that you uh based on your past past experience you definitely definitely want to do again for this upcoming campaign and what's something that you definitely need to fix and avoid or or make sure it doesn't happen in a future campaign uh well i mean first of all you know i think you know our, our hardware kickstarters i think they, they need to be they need to be longer in, in terms of the duration of the campaign, that, that's mm-hmm. definitely like one concrete thing I'd change. I'll probably change to 45, maybe even 60 days. It takes a lot, long time to get traction uh, uh, for people to know. And I just, you know, you just have to let it simmer. So I would change that. Um, obviously, um, you know, doing multiple platforms and things like that, um, you know, that's, that's definitely important. Uh, press, I think that's something that people just don't realize how, you know, time consuming that is. You know, a lot, a lot of folks, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm doing, you know, they reach out to me because I've 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 done on Kickstarters before or a Kickstarter before, and and they want my help and advice, and uh, and they want me to post things on 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 our social media and our our, our websites, and I'm more than happy to help uh, help out aspiring folks. But you know, they come to me, uh, so okay, sure, no, no worries. And then like, when when is your product launching? Uh, oh, next week. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> dude, like 
no like it takes like months like six like three to six months and and uh, um there's still a piece that um you know i don't i don't know what's happening with gawker media now but uh with Aunt gizmodo or somebody that still hasn't written the piece yet and it's been like six whatever months you know uh tom's aware tom's hardware is another one uh now these guys are people that love our product they have it in their hand and they still barely have time to publish these things so now that I know how uh, and establish some relationships with really good PR uh, press people, you know, good good guys out there that are trying to keep people honest, I know how they work, and I realize that that you need to do your PR work way in advance, and 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 you can't count on that. It's just let's hope it works out because this PR, it's not marketing, right? So uh, different things. It's easier for me to say these things because you know, second go around, I do have a lot more resource. So, mm-hmm. I, so it's it's a I don't know what to tell you, uh, you know, in terms of like the the secret to like the mistakes. But I know what I'm. You know, a lot of the things that I'll do is is the, is the things like that, like preparation up to it, um, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I, you know, whether you launch on a crowdfunding campaign or you're just launching a product for the first time, what kind of preparation PR wise uh, do you have to do to make sure it's it's a successful launch? Yeah, and, and I think some of that, um, you know, my approach, you know, obviously, and some of the things that I can tweak, uh, but but I think um, it's a combination of the two. I think, one, um, you really should engage the hardcore demographic, the, the real, you know, ad, you know advanced users, uh, um, and, and get their feedback. It, it shouldn't influence what you do, but there's, that's one way to do it. So it's things like Reddit. There's, if you're launching a, an iPad, you know, I don't know what, bikes, you know, find those kinds of you know those those guys that are just like really really um, uh, deep enthusiasts with the particular demographic that you're trying to hit, whatever you're trying to make, and really mine them for it. Now they're really terrible for consumer products because <laughs> those guys those are the kind of people that'll spend you know 10x money on a on a on a piece of toy that somebody would never do. You know, mm-hmm. they're the kind of people that would spend crazy amounts of money on on a on, on car parts you know that's another analogy i like to use um but the reason why that's important is because you can get a lot of great uh goodwill from some of those folks uh on their forums because you would post them um you know uh, months in advance because hey I'm, I'm thinking about you know kickstarting this what do you guys think and then if you get some hooks they're like oh man i know some people you know i'll post this i'll let the you know i'll let the word out so there's like this underground kind of um, awareness so that when your product comes, basically you're trying to avoid the hate. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you just come out as brand new, like Reddit will just be like, what the heck is this? It's all crap. They don't know you. But then what I did with Corker Dragon and you know accidentally, but now that I know that it was a really good thing, is that the people on Reddit, everyone <clears throat> knew about my crazy idea. And so when people are like, what the heck <clears throat> what the heck is this? You know, like uh, and then a lot of the real the, the forum like you know elders and guys like guys guys I know this guy he means well he's not a he's not a you know some 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 unscrupulous guy trying to make a quick buck he's a cool dude I know him uh, I've even seen his stuff he came out to our meetings and uh, you know yeah his idea is a little kind of wacky but but I think you know we should you know try to th- throw him a little bit of support and so there was it was there was a lot of organic defense to get the negative like sort of press out of the thing because I see when every time somebody launches in you go to Reddit or some other place and they just like they're getting destroyed um and like there's nobody defending them you know and so negativity changes piles on so 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 that helps a lot uh, on the other side um 
you know, it's, it's a difficult one again. I, I don't, I, I was fortunate enough where like this, this was a product and the images that I selected was enough of a sort of a click draw, you know, that, 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 um, that peep that it, it made it worthwhile for large companies and large bloggers to like pay attention. But, um, you know, having really great pictures, you know, having really good presentations of products and being thoughtful about it and circulating that out, um, um, beforehand to, to, to people and, and, and that, you know, and hopefully you cross your fingers that they may, they may pick up on it, but, but it's a tough one because if they don't, you know, um, yeah, it's it's tough. You can't you can't count on that. But mm-hmm. but that's what I would do. Yeah, the first point you made, I think, is super super important, and it's crazy how quickly sentiment can take off, essentially based on just how the early reactions. And I think that oh, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure this is something that you had studied before launching, but the the idea behind the product adoption curve is exactly what you're getting at, which is that you know the way that's laid out is that there are different, uh, I guess, groups of people that pick up on a product or get interested in a product at different stages. You have your innovators and early adopters at the beginning, and then there's this idea that there's this great chasm between the early adopters and then the majority, the rest of the kind of uh, consumers out there that might be interested in it. And they, and the early adopters aren't like them, you know, like you're saying that they're super hardcore and they might want certain things that the general public doesn't want, but the majority of people out there look towards the early adopters for basically how they should feel about the product. And that's exactly what it sounded like you experienced. People were coming in and maybe they were hating on it at first, but then they always looked to the early adopters, the people that are heavy into the space, looked at look at their opinions and kind of adopt the, the early adopters' opinions. And I think that's a great point that you made. And I, I think it's super important for people to hold on to this, not just for Kickstarter, but any product launch, anything in your business, there's going to be this breakup or a breakdown of different uh, groups of people that are going to be interested in your product. And they all kind of rely and work off of each other to adopt adopt your new product. So it's your, I think your case is a, a perfect example of how this all works out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I want to I want to talk um, about I think one thing you mentioned earlier was dealing with the copycat. So this is a, I think another sometimes uh, a realistic concern that people have, and other times you know maybe just they just fear that someone's going to eventually copy them, but it hasn't happened yet. So tell yeah, us about tell, yeah. I'm not sure how much you can go into this, but tell us about your experience so far. I with, mean. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's flattering. It's really ridiculous. I mean, certainly it's just, it's just, you know, and again, I think you go back to the, as a creative, you know, what are you trying to do? Um, you know, certainly my idea is not original. It's not some kind of, you know, but there was enough of an original form factor and packaging and visualization, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, that, that it makes it, uh, um, you know, it's in the conscious, in the, in the internet conscious, you know, I mean, globally, like they know what this keyboard is like, oh, that's the Corky Rider. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really fortunate that that's in place. But, you know, to be frank, like our product, you know, this is a very niche product. It's very expensive. It's the, what, what, what the Corky Riders allow me to do is potentially give me a shot at building new products right mm. because you know the more consumer more wide like you said you know a lot of somebody said like you can you can you can sell a thousand of anything on kickstarter <laughs> uh just because you know there's there's that niche uh, in place and that may be the case for my my design uh although i think it was a little bit more uh i was surprised at the traction that is having and and the continued resiliency of sales but um just to say that like you know, with the with the with the design of the Corky Rider, it was it was something that was um, unique enough, uh, um, and and it was just interesting to me that 
And I mean, that like that whole concept of like somebody actually copying what I did just never really occurred to me. I mean, I knew that that was in the back of my mind because the whole point was, you know, like, look, I was the, the whole Kickstarter thing is an open kind of thing. Like people, I mean, I, there was no like some contract or NDA. I mean, although some of the people that I did work with, we do have a work for hire NDA kind of thing just to protect my just interest and also just just different kinds of things that makes things easy to work. But I've always thought that it was an open thing. So, so the good, great thing about the internet, because of that, is just that people know that that's your product. Um, as long as you've been, uh, um, you went through the gauntlet with the early adopters, because those guys catch, you know, copy things like exactly. But the consumers are not as informed. And so, um, the bottom line is, ninety percent of the time, in my, in, in from my experience and what I've seen, is like people are not really going to copy your stuff. Like, I mean, you just really don't worry too much about it. Uh, and if they do. You know, it's it's just one of those things that there's not there's it's a very difficult thing for you to to kind of like deal with. Uh, so the idea always has been that you want to build a product that has you know, that's difficult to compete against. But my the word of caution though is that that's the kind of kind of like startup talk that that you do when you're trying to like be a billion dollar company. But when you're just like a hobbyist, you know, I I see a lot of just hobbyists. Well, I gotta you know they have they have this like startup kid and they're trying to like build in like you know. Th- this, the, the, try, any kind of product that's going to try to compete with us is going to be really difficult because I have all these things built in. I'm like, dude, like that, you're never going to be able to build that. Like that's too hard. You know, we're going to have software like cloud integration and <laughs> like all this guy. Like, do you know how expensive cloud integrations? You have no idea. Like, it's so expensive. So, so in that sense, in my, I made a contract with myself. Like, look, it is going to be pretty easy to copy my design just because it's nothing, nothing new. Like, I didn't invent any of these products. I had to use off-the-shelf things. Even the chrome plating on the on the thing that was like a really nifty trick but it's nothing that the manufacturing like if any any guy who made keyboard from logitech or wherever like oh i see this oh yeah I, we can we can just make this this is nothing the reason why they don't do is oh this is like we consumers are not going to buy a million of these things it's too expensive and the parts that he's using is too expensive so by the nature of the fact that it's really expensive and it's really hard to make and it's manual labor they're not going to do it so that wasn't a uh, protection for us but we never i never really thought of that as something that um but at the same time, um, I didn't realize how resilient it was going to be, and how popular, especially you know, in 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 the Asian countries, in China and in Japan. I mean, they love this thing, and I, we have some really great loyal fans over there. But um, so now we're dealing with a case where um, you know I've seen some people like they go, okay, you know, really what the reason the reason why Cork Rider Cool are the keycaps. So you know, people started to like typewriter keycaps and switchable mechanical switches. They started to copy that, and some of that I saw. Uh, the very early stages of it, <clears throat> somehow, are one of our factories like leaked on my tooling. So there were li- I saw when I saw the pictures of like these keycaps that the, some people were selling, and they were uh, doing that. It was exactly our keycaps. So like guys, so we try to deal with that, um, and uh, I think that was a Taiwanese company. And so we were actually able to uh, to kind of curb that and at least delay them. What we did was some some of the social media, our backers actually from Taiwan, they got furious at them. And so I didn't do anything. I just kind of posted saying, guys, um, this is a clearly like you took my corky, you bought a corky router and you took the keycaps off and you put it on a keyboard and you're trying to sell it. Uh, so, so a lot of backlash and a lot of goodwill. So, so what they did was they had to make their own mold and change a few design. And then I think it's starting to coming out just the keycaps themselves and they're selling it pretty cheap. But if you add up the cost, it's not much cheaper than they might as well just buy my keyboard. But anyway, it was kind of an interesting thing. 
Uh, but I wasn't, you know, that definitely kept me up at night a little bit just cause I'm like, oh man, I, I guess it's like happening, but you know, what are you going to do mm-hmm. now? However, we have a, a company that's just outright copying it. Like it looks exactly like my keyboard. Uh, um, and, uh, so we're in, we're in litigation with them and, and that's a really tough thing cause it's expensive. We're still weighing the pros and cons of like what we can do. So, um, so, so we do have design patents. We do have copyrights, but that's something that I've, I felt like I should have. I have that in the U.S., but um, it's a difficult question because, you know, should I have it in every country? Because mm-hmm. even if you have U.S. patent and copyrights here, uh, um, it doesn't give you protection internationally. So I did the, the Chinese and international copy design protection, which is really hard because I don't speak Chinese and I had to hire Chinese attorneys. Uh, now we have a really good team that's protecting our interests, but... But boy, that's just something that that's that's a luxury problem ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you know I, what you're getting at too is that there's really no better defense against copycats than having a super strong brand and the loyal customers that you have to, uh, you know, give this kind of backlash to these companies. Uh, but if you did have to step it up, like what are the what's like the first step? Then? You know, if you've identified someone that's outright copying your your product, like what is the first step towards, I guess, uh, legal recourse? Yeah, so I think that what I recommend is that you know when you do it, it it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you five, ten thousand, you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. It is very expensive to get your, uh, you know, it, it's going to be hard to get utility patents, and it's not. This is probably not the form to get into the difference between design and utility patents. But the point is that <clears throat> uh, get some kind of a patent. I recommend design patents if possible. Um, but you know, to to do that in 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 the states in your domestic territory for sure. And then try to see if you can get one uh, in, in China. China actually, ha- fortunately, they actually have some really good uh, recourse for, for patent and design protections. They're doing a really good job over there. It's just that you have to take advantage of it. So that's the thing that we didn't do is that we didn't. We were just like, that's also expensive. And and frankly, if you don't have the funds, what are you going to do? You have to roll the dice. But you know, we engaged them a little bit too late, which is why I'm seeing you know the copycats coming out now. But I think you know, again. All, I should have done that first, uh, in a sense where, like, if you're going to launch a product, do one in Korea, do one in China. I'm sorry, do one in uh, um, in China and do one in, in in the states or where your domestic territory is, just to just to protect that trade market and do those things uh, first. But then, second, you know, um, the goal of the legal uh, action is really not, you're not going to win things. I mean, it's it's very difficult and very expensive to do that. Uh, what I recommend is just try to slow them down. And you just continue to make a better product and better customer experience, like you mentioned. You know, build your loyal brand, focus on that, and you're going to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, so, one thing you mentioned during the uh, pre-interview was about uh, building trust, and you mentioned that one of the key pieces of advice you would give out is that you need to build trust in your business relationships and not building fear, because fear-driven businesses leads to wasted opportunities and stifles innovation. Can you just say more about this? Like, is this based on experiences that you've had? Like, what is what does this mean to you? I mean, the, you know, that's the pillar of my my business and just my creative process altogether. You know, the thing that I learned. Um, if you think about the way the keyboard was made, it was built on trust, not fear. It was built on trust because 469 people thought that what I had to do was really cool, and they gave me their trust in the most tangible form possible. So it was built on trust. So I've always, in my experience, I want to tap into that and make sure that that's the kind of philosophy that I have throughout my, throughout this experience. And so, uh, it has to do with some of that, some of that, it may be naive, 
but I think actually served us well, especially for a very, very small company like us who need people. Um, and the reason why trust is important is because trust tends to fill in a lot of gaps that you haven't thought of. Um, if you're if you're driven by fear, there's going to be a lot of gaps. And what I mean by that is, you know, as now that it was built on trust, now I was trying to find, I had to build a team. I had to go and find our industrial folks, our manufacturing team, our supply chain folks. And, you know, they're all, you know, I'm not building a real, you know, I don't have the resource. So a lot of these people are kind of like weekenders, you know, part-timers, you know, contractors. They're not full-time employees because we can't afford that. But by trying to constantly uh, project a sense of trust and, and relationship building with them, guys, thank you for doing working on this, you know, uh, um, and showing them respect, giving them a lot of leverage. You know, don't, you know, you're not the next Steve Jobs, you know, telling, the, you know, Telling people about you know being a tyrant, uh, although you know later on years he, he definitely softened up from what I understand. But the point is that um, uh, by doing that, it, it really gave back. So you know our manufacturing team, for example, was a lot of fear. You know when you when you when you end up selecting the, the, the people, and and our contracts could you know be completely bloated. But um, um, I tried to trust my instincts, and again, some of them have come to haunt me, and some of them paid off. But overwhelmingly, I think um, when I sh- extended trust to even the people that are the most fear mongering, um, I found that they go the extra mile for you. Things that are not visible, not spelled out, but they will do things for you. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, the, going back to that Chrome bar thing is a great example, where um, you know I really, really struggle with this, and and you know uh, um, um, it was difficult. But I've shown our manufacturing team uh, a great sense of trust. You know, I didn't have multiple bids and trying to you know it was harsh, but I, I there was a really good sense of rapport. So when that came up, you know, they basically figured it out for me. Because they, they deserve all the credit for that. They're like, you know what, Brian? I see that you're struggling with this. Don't worry about the cost. We're going to make it fit. If it, if it needs to be a certain cost, we'll make it work. And they did. I actually, you know, so, so there's an example where the product could have tanked. But because instead of like harping on my manufacturing team so much and like examining everything due and I, didn't, I wasn't this tyrant and just constantly panicking that, and that I try to exude a sense of trust and, and calm – uh, that team just came and just s- solved it for me, and so and I can list many instances like that where you know great like my industrial team kind of like figured out this thing uh, for me and and kind of like you know filled in those gaps that I couldn't because it was a, it was a business relationship based on trust, not not fear and 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 layers of contracts. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so one one thing I want to talk about that I noticed on your site was that you do sell also refurbished products. Can you talk to us about how your, uh, I guess, refurbished program is set up? Oh yeah, you know, so now we're we're fortunate enough where now we've uh, uh, we've sold um, enough uh, units where uh, it's, some of the units, a lot of the stuff, for example, you know, and with electronics, if it's if it's you know, if it's something that a customer returns to us, uh, and again, our, our customer return rate is very, very low. I mean, like less than one percent, and most of that stuff had to do with just, uh, just they didn't, you know, they didn't want it or there was some mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, a lot of the like, so like right now, we're doing a firmware upgrade, for example. So uh, some of the earlier backers uh, that have, um, you know, that are had our some of our older firmware. In the future, we're going to be able to release a firmware that, that they, people can download. But I'm still. That process is actually a little bit janky. So 
you know, we what we do is we take it in and we we would upgrade the firmware. But occasionally, you know, we have units that uh, um, that don't meet our standards. In fact, we do like again a pro- part of the premium product experience is that we have to make sure that when you take it out of the box, it's just gorgeous. And so, and that's really hard to do for us. Uh, you know, in terms of fancy packaging and things like that, we do our best. But what we do try to do is to make sure that the that the product itself is really, really clean vis- visually and things like that. So when we get products like that, maybe a keycap replacement or some little scratch, we'll fix all that. And then it's just it's basically a brand new Corky rider. It's just that you know we have we have them in stock, and so we uh, we have you know occasionally we'll you know I think we have we have just a few more left. We allow people to um, to take advantage of that pricing. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there are any downsides to listing a refurbished product? And the reason I'm asking is because I don't, I don't think many stores I've seen have taken this approach that you've taken. But it looks like not a great opportunity based on what you're saying about it. So talk to us about maybe the pros and cons of having a refurbished. Uh, yeah, program. you know, I mean, it's just you know, this is going to be. I, we're running this program because we started to have a, a bit of a stockpile, and you know, we were like wondering what we needed to do, and mm-hmm. so um, this is a, this is a very short. Uh, promotion. In fact, I think we put this up like maybe uh, two weeks ago, and and it's probably going to be it's probably going to be over in the next few days. Actually, I don't. I think we're almost out of it. So mm-hmm. it's just a very very, uh, um, it's a very limited kind of thing, uh, you know. But there's obviously you may you may contribute to to hurting your premium brand things like that, um, you know. So it's just I, I would say that's more of an anomaly. Uh, we don't plan to do this uh, uh, throughout. It's just a it's just a short promotion. Awesome. So yeah, I think you mentioned earlier that you have a couple other crowdfunding campaigns coming up. Anything else that you that uh, that's coming up, uh, or I guess that you have planned out for the, the next year that the listeners can look out for? Uh, yeah, it's just too early to say uh, any of those things. I, w- I would say it's more like um, in the next, you know, look for us maybe sometime next year. You know, we're not quite sure exactly, you know, when it's going to launch. But um, and again, the product line is is hugely uh, difficult uh, in terms of like you know trying to figure out what the right thing is. But every time I struggle with that, I just kind of go back to to the roots of why you know what is Corky Toys and 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 just just to wrap wrap that portion up. I put the word toys in there just because I wanted to make sure that uh, I that I don't take you know what I do too seriously. You know that it is kind of like yeah. it's really a toy. <laughs> you know, it's like this beautiful thing, but it's a toy, just like a Porsche really is a toy, isn't it? Like Ferrari, mm-hmm. like they they have all these ostentatious like you know, print ads and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a toy. It's a, it's a, it's a thing, you know, you're not saving the world. So look for products like that. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be something that like, wow, that you will not be able to ignore because it's so unusual because I just kind of work like that. And, uh, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun and it's going to be gorgeous. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. So again, Quirky Toys, you can go to quirkytoys.com or quirkywriter.com. goes to the same site. Anyone else you recommend our listeners check out? They want to follow along with what you're up to? Um, yeah, no, just, uh, you know, you can follow us on, on, on uh, Quirky Writer, at Quirky Writer on, on Twitter, um, or um, look, look us up, uh, Quirky Writer on Facebook. And uh, on, we do a lot of cool promotions and um, uh, we, uh, we have giveaways occasionally we let people know so, uh, so, follow, so like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter awesome thanks so much Brian thank you so much thanks for listening to Shopify Masters the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs to start your store today visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30 day free trial